Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Hope you guys are having a good morning so far, and I get the, the privilege of sharing with us again John and Lisa at a, a family wedding over the weekend, uh, one of the, the Chubb daughters. Uh, Emma getting married to Lorenzo, so congrats to them getting getting married yesterday, um, and so that's that's where they are. But a uh, little bit of sad news as well, just to let you know, Lisa Crumpton's mom, she went to be with Jesus on Friday night, um, and so please encourage you guys. Let's be praying for the Crumpton family. Obviously, it hasn't been a, an easy season for them uh, with Uncle Derek's passing uh, two weeks back, and now uh, Lisa's mom. Uh, passing on Friday night. So, uh, yeah, really encourage. Let's be praying for them. Let's be loving them and uh, supporting them uh, through through this season. So, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that we can be, be joining and praying. So as I get to share this morning, I'm going to be talking about such a time as this. We are called for such a time as this. And, uh, you know, one of the well, one of the many challenges I guess we're facing in this COVID season is I have to talk to a camera and you have to look at a screen instead of looking at me. I at least have a few faces over here in the worship team. Uh, the worship team, they pretty much only had me worshiping and Warren. <laughs> so it's a little bit unfair. I get a little bit of a sweeter deal than the worship team had, but it's, it's good to be able to talk to them in person, obviously, to you guys at home. Uh, but one of the people I'm talking to at home this morning is my daughter, Sarah, because I'm going to be preaching on her favorite Bible story, the book of Esther. And, uh, and so I'm actually going to be reading uh, the story of, of Esther from Sarah's Bible story book. And this will just help us get the bigger picture. So if you've got kids at home, I want to encourage you, invite them to come and sit down in front of the, the TV with you and to join in with uh, this morning's lesson. I know the kids are going to have a Zoom lesson at 11 o'clock uh, later today, but they can have two lessons. It's a double portion uh, for them. So uh, here we go in the book of Esther, and this is Sarah's favorite story from her kid's Bible, and so we're going to put it up for you guys so that you can read along uh, as, as I read the story this morning. So this is Esther, and uh, we're going to, the f- first two pages are covering kind of Esther 1, 2, uh, chapter, chapter 3 or so. So King Xerxes of Persia was looking for a beautiful young woman to be his new queen. A lot of girls in the Persian kingdom were summoned but only one would become the queen. One of these girls was Esther. She was a Jew and an orphan. Her uncle, Mordecai, who worked in the palace, had adopted her. After a full year of beauty treatments in the palace, each girl was presented to the king. The king immediately fell in love with Esther and chose her to be his wife, the new queen. I think all the, all the girls are like, wait, what, what did you say? A full year of beauty treatments? What? Say what? Daryl, can I sign up for that option? <laughs> a year of massages, a year of facials, a year of manicures and pedicures, a year of, you know, testing every different perfume that the world at the time had to offer. Uh, wow, isn't that quite something? A year of uh, all this beauty treatment so that the king could choose who his new wife, uh, who the new queen would would be. And so Esther finds favor. She finds favor with the king almost immediately. 
And so let's carry on reading here in the storybook of Esther. So sometime later, the king made Haman, one of his nobles, more powerful than any man in his entire kingdom. He commanded that everyone should bow down to Haman when they saw him. Mordecai, however, refused to bow down to Haman. I am a Jew, and I can only bow down to the one true God, Mordecai said. This made Haman furious. So he went to the king and said, There is a group of people living in your kingdom who do not follow your orders. I think we should get rid of them all, said Haman. The king didn't think much about who these people might be, but allowed Haman to do as he pleased. So we see here that uh, Mordecai, obviously he, he's adopted uh, Esther as, as his own daughter, even though he's the, the uncle naturally, uh, but he's kind of adopted her and, uh, and is, you know, caring, had, had cared for her growing up. Uh, and now this, this situation where Haman, this new evil kind of ruler under, the, under King Xerxes, wants to destroy and kill all of the Jews. And, uh, the, you know, the scripture talks about male, about female, about children, any Jew, babies, they're all going to be killed. And on this certain day that they kind of roll the, the purr, the dice, to decide what day it is that they, they, they're going to kill all the Jews, it ends up being the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar. Uh, it ends up becoming the Jewish festival of Purim, which uh, is normally March, April time. And so there's this, this, this terrible situation where this ruler, Haman, now wants to kill and destroy the Jewish people. What is going to happen? Let's carry on reading. So when Esther's uncle, Mordecai, found out, he dressed in sackcloth to show his sorrow and stood outside the palace crying. Oh, Esther, Mordecai sobbed, Haman has made a law that will cause all the Jews to be killed. Please go, and, please go to the king and ask for help. But uncle, said Esther, I cannot just go to the king. If he doesn't first invite me to come, it might cost me my life to ask him for anything. So let me just pause over there. The, the context is that uh, the, the law of the day was if anyone went to the king and approached him in his inner court without, uh, being, without you know, being summoned by the king first, well, the, 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 the punishment is death unless the king raises his golden scepter to that individual as a sign of, that's okay, I'm overruling the punishment, this person can come to me. And so Esther hasn't been summoned to the king's inner courts for 30 days. And so she's starting to freak out a little bit because she knows by just approaching the king in his courts, the, the, the potential outcome is death. Let's carry on reading. Esther said Mordecai, maybe this is just the reason why you have become queen. Okay, said Esther, I will go, but please pray and fast for me for three days first. If it costs me my life, then let it be so. So obviously this kid's Bible story is just telling the overall bigger picture and is 100% accurate, but it's pretty, pretty close. Uh, in, the, in the real story when we read in, in Esther chapter 3 and 4, uh, Mordecai and Esther don't actually see one another. It's via messengers that they, they have this, this conversation. Uh, 
But so we find this situation where Esther's in great distress. I mean, come on, all of us would be in great distress. Uh, all the Jewish people are going to be killed. Her whole family is going to be killed. Uh, she doesn't, well, the, the king doesn't know that Esther's Jewish. She's kept this a secret from him. And so perhaps he's going to find out, perhaps someone's going to spill the beans that, that Queen Esther is also a Jew and, and she's maybe going to get killed as well. I mean, you can just imagine all the different scenarios playing through her mind. Uh, and so, you know, Esther 4 verse 4, let me read it for you. It says, when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai. She was in great distress. She sent cloths for him to put on instead of sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Um, and so there's this situation where, where, where Esther's freaking out. She really is in great distress. What does she do? What does she do in this situation? And I think the, the environment we find ourselves in, in, in our nation and in the world right now, is probably a lot of us find ourselves in, in situations where we're, we're kind of faced with some form of great distress. Uh, hopefully many of us not, but I'm sure many of us are finding ourselves in the situation where it's kind of like, well, what do I do? How do I respond to this situation? Uh, you know, it kind of looks, when I look at the facts, it's, it's a bad option or a worse option. <laughs> Which option do I go for? And, and hopefully I want to speak to us and encourage us this morning that as we put our faith in Jesus, uh, that we, we trust him, that he is going to work all things out together for good. Just as we, we were transitioning the worship this morning, that those dead branches, uh, the season changes and life comes, the blossoms come, the, the new buds of leaves start to grow and life comes forth. And so, uh, I'm trusting with you if you're facing a, a situation that just seems terrible, that, that life is going to come. Life is going to come. So this is, this is the, the, the crux of this whole story as we now look at Esther 4 verse 14. This is Mordecai and he's, he's kind of sending this message of encouragement um, to Esther. And he says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I'm sure we've all heard of that, that verse being quoted before. That, you know, Mordecai is encouraging Esther and he's saying to her, but Esther, I know that you're freaking out. I know that you're, you're in great distress. But Esther, what if you were born for such a time as this? What if you were created? What if the favor of the king that was on you, the reason that you were chosen, what if all of your existence was coming to this climatic point for this very moment? What if this was the reason that you were born? What if this is the reason why you are in the palace for such a time as this. So I want to encourage us and say for, for all of us, we're all leaders in, in some way, shape or form in our community. And I want to encourage us that we continue to be intentional leaders. But as leaders, this is the time for us to not be silent. This is the time for us to stand up and share and raise our voice for the sake of the gospel. This is the time for us to stand up for righteousness, for justice. This is the time for us to shine our light and let it be seen. This is the time for our good works to arise and to be seen so that the world will look to the good works that we're doing and they'll be pointed to Jesus and that God will be glorified. This is the time for us to arise and shine. Um, you know, this is not a time for you to sit back and do nothing. Uh, I mean, just imagine what Esther's going through. 
Uh, I'm sure through her mind, I mean, it will be going through my mind, I'm sure. You know, I'm safe in the palace right here. The chances of the king finding out that I'm Jewish, you know, maybe God will protect me. And man, I, I really feel horrible for, for all the, the rest of the, the Jewish people. I feel horrible for the rest of God's people. But, you know, maybe God will spare me if I just keep quiet. Maybe I just don't need to do anything about this. I'm just going to, you know, lay low and just ignore this whole thing. And, and, and kind of I'm going to lay low in, in my prayer closet. I'm going to pray for, for Mordecai and pray for the, the, the Jewish people that, that nothing will happen to them and God will, will rescue them. Well, I mean, the, the word from Mordecai was that God is going to bring deliverance to the Jewish people, whether it's from Esther or not. The kind of the invitation is, Esther, do you want to play a part? If you don't play a part, it's quite possible that, that yourself and your family will perish. But if you do play a part, perhaps this is the reason you were born. But I, I love that, uh, you know, Esther plays this crucial role. But at the end of the day, our salvation comes from the Lord. And Mordecai clearly saying, God is going to make a way one way or another. If it's not from you, it's going to come from another place. There's probably going to be a greater cost but God is going to bring uh, freedom, deliverance for, for the Jewish people. And so what do they do? They, they muster up their courage. Esther faces death and she says, well, if it's death, so be it. Let's do this. I'm going to approach the king. He hasn't summoned me for 30 days, but I'm going to approach the king. And so they, they agree, and uh, Esther sends a request to Mordecai and says, please fast for me. Fast for three days and nights. Do not eat, do not drink. Pray and fast for me. And Esther and her attendants, they also pray and fast for, for three days. In the face of difficulty, in the face of tragedy, in the face of great distress, we can either shrink back into nothingness. We can shrink back and say, well, I'm just, I'm just freaking out right now and I don't know what to do, so I'm just getting into survival mode. Or, or perhaps you, you freak out onto the other extreme and you think, I'm going to do everything I can to fix this problem by myself. Perhaps maybe you're the type of person that just puts your head in the sand and pretends that the problem's not there. I want to encourage you that in a time of great distress that, that you turn to the Lord. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about Esther, it's this intriguing book. There's no reference to God whatsoever, but there's all these, um, uh, what's the right word, but kind of implied, you know, references to, to spirituality, to seeking the Lord. I think we can read into this, this section that they, they seek the Lord. They, they pray and they fast. It's in these moments of weakness that we really need to, trust and seek the Lord. This is a time for us as a nation, as a city, as a church, that we really seek the Lord, that we don't shrink back into nothingness. We don't shrink back and put our, our head in the sand, that we don't just uh, embrace the distress, embrace the difficult situation and, and just say, well, this is my portion and so be it. I'm just going to, you know, live with the consequences. But that, no, we say, but God, maybe there's a different option. Maybe there's a different solution. Maybe, God, this is the reason why I was born for such a time as this. Maybe you've put me in the position you've put me in to bring hope, to bring life to the very people that I'm around. Because time and time again, when we look at the, the scriptures, the gospels, Old Testament, New Testament, we see the common thread that God chooses the weak and the lowly to do these amazing exploits for him. He chooses little old people like you and me to do some extraordinary things. 
Uh, we don't deserve it. We don't, you know, earn it. We don't qualify to be used or to partner with, with God. But for some reason, God seems to choose ordinary people like you and me to do these extraordinary things. I remember a conversation I, I had with uh, a spiritual giant, I would call him, in, uh, based out of America, and we were chatting about how is it that, you know, some people just are so effective for the Lord and others perhaps not as effective from, from appearance. Um, and I was just saying, you know, I just feel so ordinary. Like, I feel God wants to do things with me, but I just feel so ordinary. I don't feel like there's anything special or unique about me. I just feel like a normal, ordinary person. Uh, and I was asking him, how, how does he feel when he engages with the Lord, when the Lord uses him to, to do these profound things to, you know, he's, he's a prophet and just does really, really amazing things. And he said, well, you know, Daryl, I also feel completely normal, and I feel that's kind of the reason why, why God has called me to do the things that I've done, because people can relate to me. I'm just an ordinary person. Uh, God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He chooses people that seem weak and unqualified over and over again. And so maybe this morning, God wants to encourage you and say that He has called you, He has equipped you, and He wants to work through you despite your weakness. Because let's, let's get into this, this subject of weakness a little bit, and let's unpack what the Scriptures say. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through to verse 31. Paul's writing, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when uh, you were called. And the word called, yeah, is kind of when you were saved, when God called you for the first time. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Beautiful passage of Scripture. And I just loved where, where John was sharing last week when he was reflecting on, uh, on Derek, our father in the faith, looking to the rock from which we're sown. And I just love that, that God takes nobodies and makes them somebodies. <laughs> I'm such a nobody, and, and, and hopefully many of you relate to being a nobody and if you relate to being a nobody, that's good because it means God's going to make you a somebody. I, th I think God doesn't as often or as frequently make somebody's somebody extra special. <laughs> God chooses the nobodies. And so as we are these, these, these nobodies, God wants to use us. As we, we find ourselves with these frailties, these weaknesses, it's in the midst of that, that weakness, that frailty, that God is saying, I want to use you. I want to partner with you. I want to do powerful things through you. I want to make you a somebody. And so we all find ourselves in situations where we feel weak. We feel unqualified. We feel like we just don't have what it takes to do the thing that we feel perhaps God is calling you to do or the, the job that lies before you. I want to encourage you. Let's, let's be like Esther and Mordecai. They didn't just retreat and do nothing, but they said, well, what can we do? Well, we can fast and we can pray. We can seek the Lord and then we can go and, you know, Esther can go and approach the king. They did what they could do. When you find yourself in that situation of distress, don't put your head in the sand. Don't pretend it's not there. 
but say, God, what can I do? And then do what you can do. And then put your hope, your faith, your trust in Jesus and say, God, my faith is in you to do what only you can do. Do what you can and trust God to do what only he can do. Let's read another passage here. We're going to move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 to 10, as we explore the subject of, of weakness a little bit more. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Let's just pause over there. So Paul had these incredible encounters with God and he's kind of referring to the fact that he perhaps hasn't shared all of these surpassingly incredible revelations of you know, his encounters with the Lord in heaven and the crazy things that, that he experienced. Carries on, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, what a passage of Scripture. Um, you know, this thorn in, in the flesh, it's, it's caused much uh, controversy and thought through the, the years. What is this thorn in the flesh? And the, the, the truth is we don't know what it is. Um, I personally don't think it's a physical sickness of some sort, although it might be. Uh, is this some kind of torment, uh, you know, a, a spiritual torment? Is it, is it someone that's tormenting and causing difficulty? Is it his own insecurity? We don't know what it is, but we know that God allows something to trouble Paul, something to, to just make him feel like he's not this super Christian superhero that's got everything waxed and sorted and, and has everything right in life. And Come on, I'm sure all of us can relate. All of us have some area in our life where we probably feel like we've got that, that kind of thorn in our flesh where, where something's just holding you back, something's troubling you, something is, is tormenting you. And, and perhaps God allows these things, as he did for Paul, to keep us humble, to keep us relying on him, that we would never find ourselves in a position where we feel we've got this. I've got this. I can do this. I don't need God. I don't need to put my trust in him. Uh, God is so kind and gracious to help us be in a position where we're always dependent upon him. And so as Paul ends there, when I am weak, then I am strong. And so the Lord is strong in and through Paul, but it's also saying he is strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul has found this ability to find inner strength in the you know, the, the context of, of this weakness. So I think when it, when it comes to weakness, there, there are different approaches, uh, different perspectives. And I think there's two extremes that probably most of you would relate to one or the other. And so listen as I share these different extremes and, and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to you which of these extremes when it comes to weakness do you tend to, to, to you know, lean towards. And so I think the one extreme is that weakness should be avoided at all costs. That 
you know, weakness is something that we should just stay away from. And so because weakness is, is a negative trait, because weakness is not good, we just don't put ourselves in situations where we feel weak. We avoid it at all costs. And so a practical example might be you feel like you are not good at, say, uh, prophesying over people. And so every time there's an opportunity for, you know, corporate uh, prophecy and to encourage one another, uh, that's the convenient time where you quickly need a loo break. And so you, you avoid it because you don't want to feel weak and you shy away from weakness and so you completely avoid it. Um, you know, perhaps uh, there, there are times when Maybe it's the gift of healing that's being activated in a particular meeting. We, we long to do all these things when we can be back in person in the auditorium again. And, and you just feel weak when it comes to praying for healing. Uh, perhaps it's a sensitive area in your life, and so you just avoid it. Uh, perhaps it's outreach. Uh, perhaps you, you just feel uncomfortable and you feel completely you know, unqualified, you feel completely out of your depth, you feel completely uncomfortable when it comes to sharing your faith. And so when it comes to outreach, you just completely avoid it because you don't want to be in a weak situation. Um, you know, imagine just for a moment that I have it's Olympic season where about it, or Olympics I think are ending today or or yesterday, whenever it did end. Um, but just think for a moment, if, if one of those Olympic athletes decided to just stop or abandon ship when they felt weak, well, well I can pretty much guarantee you not a single one of those athletes uh, would have made it to the Olympics if they didn't push through that weakness, if they didn't in, in some way, shape, or form embrace that weakness, that challenge that they were facing, and continue to power through it and say, when I am weak, then God makes me strong. Uh, just a side note, but I love how, how, how many of our South African sportsmen and women who've been doing well in the, the last couple weeks or months have, have publicly given glory to God and acknowledged Him. Um, just so, so beautiful to see uh, people of, of influence, people that are achieving at the highest level, being believers and giving glory to God. Uh, so, so encouraging. Lord, will you raise up even more and may they be a light uh, for our nation, uh, a light that guides and, and leads us into your presence. But yeah, if you abandon ship every time you feel weak because you avoid it at all costs, I want to tell you that you are missing out on so much. You are missing out on the things that God is calling you to. Again, let's come back to the story of Esther. If she abandoned ship when she felt weak in this situation of utter distress, I could die. So, I mean, come on, most of us probably don't find ourselves in life or death situations like Esther did. But we do find ourselves in, in difficult trying situations where we perhaps uh, our weaknesses are exposed. And if you always avoid those situations, you're never going to grow. Because coming back to the Olympians, that is when they grow. That's when they get stronger, when they put their muscles under strain, under tension, that they start to feel weak, but they keep on going. That's when they get stronger and end up improving and increasing their performance. Spiritually, when we feel weak and we don't give up, but when we keep pressing on, when we keep holding on to that, you know, that rope of faith, saying, God, my trust is in you. I feel so weak and I feel incompetent, but I'm putting my faith and trust in you. As we do that, that's one of the ways that our spiritual muscles grow and we get stronger. That's one of the ways that we take more territory is as we don't shy away from our weakness. And so the one extreme is that we completely avoid weakness at all costs. On the other side, the other extreme is that we completely embrace weakness. <laughs> weakness becomes your friend. And uh, when people are on this extreme, 
the, the extreme looks like people starting to use their weakness as a tool to manipulate for their own self-gain. And uh, so a lot of times, perhaps because of difficult situations, you, maybe we could say people that become professional beggars have embraced their weakness because they know as they embrace their weakness, uh, others come and uh, help them and do for them what they can't do for themselves. Uh, I'm not saying that you know, every person that finds himself in a difficult situation has embraced. But as a, a general rule, probably if we had to put a, an assumption over them, uh, I think a lot of times that would be, you know, someone who's embraced weakness for their own self-gain uh, because it's, it's ended up working for them. You know, weakness should never be an excuse for not doing what God is calling us to do. I think when we're embracing the extreme of uh, I'm embracing weakness too much, we, we then start to excuse the things that God is calling us to do because we excuse ourselves because of our weakness. Um, and so if you find yourself doing that on, on that extreme, that's not healthy and you're never going to grow because it's the same as avoiding weakness. Now you're embracing your weakness. Uh, both of these extremes, what is the, the outcome? Well, we don't go down the path that God is leading us to walk down. We, we miss out going down the journey that God has for us. And, uh, and so we miss out on the kingdom expanding. We miss out on the things that God wants you to do so that you can grow, so that you can be strengthened. As I, I start to close, um, I, I want to encourage us to say that it's in our weakness that God reveals himself to us. It's in our weakness that God shows himself strong to you and through you. And so don't be, don't be shy of your weakness. Don't stay away from these, these areas of weakness just as Queen Esther, she kind of embraced that situation and said, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. And I'm, going to, I'm going to go approach the king. Life or death situation. And so I just want to close with the story I, I heard quickly. Because I think when it comes to Mission Love One, shared on that two weeks ago, um, many of us avoid this mission because of our weakness. We avoid this mission because we just don't want to fail. We just don't want to go near weakness or because we feel we're so incapable of doing uh, outreach or sharing our faith. Uh, both of these extremes, I think, lead to us missing out on the very things God wants to do. Both of these extremes miss us, uh, you know, take you away from, from perhaps that moment where what if this is the very reason why you were born? I mean, for Esther, this is like a climatic moment in her whole life. I think many of us probably have those climatic moments, but we also face them, I think, almost daily or at least weekly. I think we find ourselves in situations where perhaps this is the reason, the very reason why God brought you into this company, into this school, into this suburb for such a time as this, that you might arise and shine, that you might stand up and speak and not be silent because God wants to bring deliverance and freedom through you. And so when it comes to Mission Love One, the story of a, a friend who I heard who, who came to faith and his journey of coming to faith was he, he, he was running a business and, and had a client. And this client was a believer and, and just the Lord moved his heart towards this business owner. We'll call them Larry and Dave, my friend being Larry, the business owner, Dave being his client. And so Dave starts to uh, reach out to Larry by just saying, 
hey, you know, uh, I just want to let you know that I, I was praying for you the other day, and I just wanted to you know, let you know God, God loves you. And, uh, and Larry happens to be in that very moment going through this really difficult situation. And so he's intrigued at the fact that someone who doesn't know his situation is praying for him. Dave, the person who reaches out, he doesn't know the context. He just is being led by the Holy Spirit. Just that small act of, of obedience, reaching out. And so they have a conversation and, and Dave says, hey, well, Larry, come on, can, can I pray for you? I just, I feel God wants me to pray for you. And Larry says, sure. And so they go to a different part of, of, of the, the office and Dave goes ahead and prays for, for Larry. And, and this, this rapport starts to grow, this spiritual rapport. And so Dave continues to pray for, for, for Larry. And then he starts to, to ask God to give him words of encouragement. And so then Dave gets his children to write notes where they put down scriptures and messages of encouragement. And uh, next time Dave goes to have a business appointment with Larry, he gives them these, these notes of encouragement and uh, encourages Larry again to say, hey, you know, we're, we're praying for you. A couple of weeks or months later, um, Dave feels led that he needs to give give Larry, his friend, a Bible. And so he buys a Bible. And he goes to Larry and he says, hey, I felt God wants to give you this Bible and he just wants to encourage you and uh, gives him some guidance perhaps even in, in how to read the, the Scriptures, you know, coaches him on where to start. And, and so Larry starts to read the Bible. It comes Christmas time and, um, and, and Larry feels led to, uh, or Dave feels led to uh, invite Larry to come and join for Christmas at his house with his family. And Larry doesn't want to go, but all these circumstances change and shift and move. And so Larry says, okay, fine, he relents. And he goes and, and joins Dave and his family for Christmas lunch. Uh, Dave bumps into, well, sorry, Larry bumps into Dave's gran. Uh, Dave's gran wasn't supposed to or wasn't going to be joining the Christmas lunch because she wasn't feeling well. But the Lord says to her, you need to go to Christmas lunch because someone's going to be there and you need to encourage them. Isn't this just amazing? So there Larry is, he's still kind of figuring his way, what does this faith journey look like? And he's been through this difficult time of weakness and distress. He's still going through it. And now he finds himself with a bunch of strangers on Christmas Day, and he finds himself in the passage where this granny, you know, introduces herself to him and, and, uh, and then starts saying, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here today, but you're the reason why I'm here. God told me I need to come and give a message of hope and love to you. And so she prophesies over Larry. And Larry's just bowled over and just blown away what's going on. And they end up talking about God most of the rest of Christmas Day. Larry's heart is being drawn. The Lord is wooing him and he's using ordinary people. He's using nobodies like Dave and his grand. That's how mission love one takes place. As, as you and I just find ourselves where, we, you know, someone is just drawn to you. Someone, you just feel this special connection. And you just feel like you need to pray for them. You feel like you need to just maybe send them a little note of encouragement. Perhaps you feel like God's saying you need to buy them a Bible, whatever it is. But there's just this little connection. And as, as Dave so, so, you know, stewarded the, those little inklings of the Holy Spirit, Larry gets drawn into the kingdom and gives his heart to Jesus. That's just such a beautiful story, I think, of how mission love one takes place. Why am I speaking about this? Because again, I think these weakness extremes, you know, 
completely avoiding weakness or completely embracing weakness, both of these disempower us and stop us from reaching out and making a difference in the world. And so let's live in this healthy tension of not being, you know, so averse to weakness that we don't go there and also not being so embracing of weakness that we use it as an excuse, but that we realize when I am weak, I am strong because of what Jesus has done in me. I am strong because of him. Come on. Can you stand and I want to pray for us? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in our weakness, you make us strong. Thank you, Lord, that that you put us in situations where we can't boast in our own skills, abilities, or whatever it is, but that we can only boast in you, King Jesus. Lord, may our lives reflect something similar to Queen Esther and Mordecai, that in our moment of distress, in our moment of weakness, we won't put our head in the sand and, and walk away. We won't, we won't just forget and ignore the situation, but that we will turn to you, Jesus. We'll seek you, Father God. We will come to you with prayer, with fasting, that in our weakness, God, you make us strong. That in our weakness, God, that's the very moment when you reveal your strength in and through us. That in our weakness, perhaps this is a divine setup and perhaps we're feeling weak and just overwhelmed for this very reason that God might show himself strong in and through you. Thank you, Jesus, that this week, this coming week, you're going to give us divine appointments, divine moments where we feel out of our depth, we feel weak, we feel like we don't know what to do. We feel nervous. But God, we choose to step out and take a little risk. We choose to step out and overcome our weakness, knowing that when we do that, you make us strong. Knowing that when we do that, that's how we grow. That's how we get stronger. That's how the kingdom expands. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to not let our aversion to weakness or our complete embracing of weakness be a reason to hold us back from your kingdom expanding. May there never be a reason to hold us back from loving people to Jesus. May there never be a reason to prevent us from mission, love one, that we will change the world just one person at a time. Thank you, Lord, that you've put us here in this city, whatever city you're watching from, Thank you that, that, Lord, you've put us in the business, in the family, in the environment you've put us in for such a time as this. As overwhelming as it may seem, thank you, Lord, that you've put us in this position for such a time as this. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to leave us on that cliffhanger there, and uh, perhaps next week or otherwise the week after, we will come back and uh, hopefully carry on with the rest of the story of Esther and find out what actually happens uh, after Esther chooses to push through this weakness, this distress, and approach the king. If you can't hang, hang on and wait, then you can go read the rest of Esther yourself. But we will come back and finish the story uh, sometime in the next two or three weeks. 
But uh, God bless you guys, our children. I hope you enjoyed the start of our children's ministry this morning. But we got more for you. So 11 o'clock, you're going to tune in to your Zoom lessons. And uh, our kids and teachers have a wonderful lesson uh, lined up for you guys. May you have a wonderful afternoon further. May you enjoy seeing nature start to change as new things come to life, as the the blossoms are already starting to blossom and the buds are already starting to, to come out. Till next week, Sunday. God bless.